You were called to make the world brighter, to run on the front lines, to cast vision where it had not yet landed. You were not gifted to be a random burst of energy, but a consistent force that enables the world to hear beauty, see potential, and write stories in a way that points the world to Jesus. Provoke and inspire. Welcome to this unique Provoke and Inspire podcast. On this specific episode, we'll be playing live audio from last fall's Provoke and Inspire seminar in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Uh, So I am a a full-time missionary for something called Steiger, uh, and Steiger reaches and disciples what we call the secular global youth culture for Jesus. Um, but really tonight is, is about something new that we're doing. Uh, you already had the, the raise of hands in terms of what come and live is. Um, but what I wanted to do before we launch into provoke and inspire, which is what tonight is about, uh, is to share with you what the new come and live is. Um, I think there's been maybe some confusion, but one thing we've known for sure is that, that we need to clarify our vision. Uh, in this crazy world, if you're going to accomplish anything, you really need to be clear about what you are doing. Uh, and so tonight, that's what I hope to do. Uh, and then we will get into this crazy thing called Provoke and Inspire. So what is the, what is the new vision? Or, or if you've never heard it, what is the vision and mission of Come and Live? Um, it's simply this. Our mission is to reach and disciple the global youth culture for Jesus, just like Steiger, uh, by inspiring Christian artists of every kind and in every season to love Jesus and have eternal kingdom impact through their art and music. Uh, so broadly, that is what we hope to do, to, to challenge Christian artists to make a difference. Um, two categories of involvement. Uh, there's the Come and Live community. Uh, this is just a pretty b- broad definition for anyone who, who's excited about this idea, who's passionate about, about art and about um, evangelism and missions work and wants to engage with this. Uh, and, and then there's the come and live artists. Uh, those are the two categories. Um, so what, what is the come and live community? What, what is this? Well, very, very briefly, like I said, it's just a online and physical gathering of people that are excited about using music and art uh, to reach the lost and want to want to get behind, support, engage with this, uh, this topic uh, and wrestle with these issues. There's really not much expected. Um, we have a, a new website that we launched today, uh, and there's many more hopes for this to be more developed. But for now, it's just a fairly basic website that explains our vision. Uh, but eventually, we want a whole uh, dynamic online community of people engaging with each other, uh, wrestling through the topics of culture and art and missions. And really, the only thing you need to do, uh, the only criteria for being involved is just not to violate our community standards. So that should be pretty easy. Um, come live artists. The second big category for us, what does this mean? What does it mean to be a come and live artist? Uh, because if it's too broad of a definition, then, then it doesn't have an impact. Uh, and so we've really prayed through what are the criteria? What are our standards? Uh, and the first one is that um, we want all of our come and live artists to read David Pierce's book, Revolutionary. Uh, and this isn't because it's about a program or it's about a method. Uh, for those of you have the, that have read this book, uh, it's just biblical principles for, for being effective in the missions field as an artist. Uh, and we want to all be on the same page uh, so that we're together accomplishing the same thing. Uh, the second thing is to, to sign our come and live covenant. Uh, we want our artists to have authentic lives. We want their offstage and their onstage lives to look the same, or at least should, that should be our heart. Uh, and so this isn't about a self-righteous thing. This is about a striving and a, it's about a community and, and, and encouraging each other and holding each other accountable um, and saying, we want to be authentic followers of Jesus. And so we, we want to hold each other accountable. And then really our come and live artists will be approved on two categories. 
the first one is to have a kingdom focus and, and goal. You know, the question needs to be asked, why come and live? I think there's probably been a day in the past where, where someone has come to come and live as a way to maybe gain exposure uh, or to release music, um, just as another way to potentially make it. And, and so we've stripped away anything that would create this incentive. Um, really, for us, um, we want to hear, what's your vision? What's your mission? Why, uh, why are you an artist? Why are you going to change the world? What is your, your plan, your dream for having an impact for God? Uh, and then the second thing is dedication and maturity to craft. Um, we don't want to get into the business of, of evaluating professional and, and, and quality. This can be a very subjective thing, and, and God has gifted all of us differently. Um, but one thing we do want is, is for people to be mature and dedicated to what they're doing, uh, to really take seriously the, the gifts that God has given them and to want to steward them well. Uh, and so these are, are really the, the basic uh, criteria to be a come and live artist. What will we provide? How will we support? Well, three ways. Uh, the first way is through pastoral care, uh, and we call this artist relations. Um, and I'll explain these in more depth in a second. The second one is teaching and training. Uh, and then the third one is exposure to the community. So the first one, artist relations. Uh, one of the most common things that we hear um, from artists that we're able to work with that have a missional call is that they feel alone. You know, they have this burning heart to use their art to make a difference, but they feel unsupported. They feel alone. And so our heart is to come alongside and to provide pastoral care. And it really would take two forms, personal and strategic. Um, Personal being, how are you doing with your relationship with God? How's your family? Are you staying grounded? Are you protecting what matters most? We want to offer that kind of encouragement to artists. And then the second one is is strategic, which is to say a lot of artists need help to come up with a plan and stick to it. Okay, that's your vision and mission, but how are you going to achieve that? And so we want to come alongside and offer that type of mentorship. The second one is teaching and training, and and this is called Provoke and Inspire. Now, you're at a Provoke and Inspire seminar, uh, but Provoke and Inspire hopes to be much more than that. Um, for us, it's our voice uh, in the world uh, that, that discusses and, and, and portrays the things that we believe about art, music, and ministry. Uh, and so it's going to be in the form of a podcast, of a blog, in-person seminars, and video content. Uh, and this is our way to help artists to be trained to do this type of work. You know, most artists, even the ones that want to do this, they, they don't know how. You know, they lack the modeling or they, or they lack the, the understanding of how to do this effectively. And so we want to offer that sort of training. And tonight is, the, is an example of that type of training that we hope to offer. The next one is storytelling. And I'm very excited about this. Uh, there was a day and age in Come and Live where maybe what people recognized it for most was, was music distribution. Well, we no longer will be distributing music because we want to create the right kind of incentive to be, to be involved in Come and Live. What we want to highlight, what we want to promote is fruit. We want to promote and celebrate what God is doing through our artists. And so we are, we are taking painstaking effort to make that the abundantly clear thing. That when you come to come and live, what you are celebrating is not another CD, not another show, but kingdom impact through our artists. And that's exciting. And so that's what we want to celebrate. We want to create a model out there that says, this is what you should go after. This is something that is a worthwhile thing to aspire to. And so again, on our blog, in our podcasts, and in our seminars, we want to highlight and lift up artists with a burning heart for the lost and what they're doing to reach them. What's our long-term vision? 100,000 community members, 200 come-and-live artists proclaiming the gospel to half a million people a year. 
And beyond that, having a global voice for this type of work. There's no model out there, or there's hardly any models out there that say, this is what you can do as an artist. There's so many models that tell you, do it the world's way, sell stuff, make it about money. But we want to create a model out there that current artists and aspiring artists can look to and say, I can be part of this. I can see myself doing that. So that's Come and Live 2.0, very briefly. And it's very excited and, and exciting. And God has given us, I think, incredible vision for the future. And, and there is a part and a role for everyone here to play. But tonight is provoke and inspire. And really, this, this whole night is based on, well, of course, God and what he's been doing in our lives, what he's been showing us. Um, but it's also based on the book that my, da- my dad wrote, David Pierce wrote, Revolutionary. Um, and we're going to talk, eight different ones of us are going to come up and share from our, from our heart these principles and, and how that's played out in our lives. Um, but before I launch into that, I think there's something that's critical to understand. There, there's a foundation that you really need to get in place. If you don't get this foundation right, none of these principles matter. Our heart and Steiger and come and live, like I said, is to come around artists of every kind and of every season and support them to live for God. And I don't believe that every artist is called to be a full-time missionary. I think more are called than are, being, than are going out, but not everyone is called to this full-time. But I still think that at the heart of what we do here oh, is this challenge to say more should be called. More should be called to be fully sold out, fully devoted to the cause of Christ through their art. I've experienced in my life that giving God everything that's saying, Lord, you have, you take my art, you take what gifts I have, what I don't have. I've, I've experienced that when I lay those things into his hands, I have been released a thousand times more as an artist than I could have ever released myself. I am a very average person and God has used me to do extraordinary things because he wants to support those whose hearts are fully his. The purpose of provoke and inspire is to do exactly that, to provoke and to inspire. To say there is a reality out there for you as an artist that is unbelievable. That is so incredible. Now, if I was to categorize 99% of Christian artists today, they would fall into one of two categories. First category would be Christians who intentionally or unintentionally play exclusively for Christians. Now, I know there's a whole... Uh, different set that is worship, and that's different. And that's not really what I'm talking about tonight. I'm just talking about general artists. You know, and whether they mean to or don't, they end up playing for this entire industry that's been built to support that. So Christian clubs, Christian festivals, Christian radio stations, and everything else. And, and this is fine. We need Christian entertainment, and that's okay. Uh, the other category are Christians who intentionally avoid the Christian scene, go into the secular world, but in order to do so, They code, they obscure, or they omit a message of any kind. They want to blend in in order to be relevant. Now, I said 99% because, of course, there are always exceptions, and there are exceptions, excellent exceptions. But I think this would be a fair categorization of most Christian artists. What the purpose of Provoke and Inspire is to show is that there's a third way, there is a different model, that it is possible to use your art to use what God has given you to go outside of the church to be clear for Jesus. It is possible. It's not easy. There's lots of challenges, but it is possible. Uh, but, but in order for this to happen, I think you need to understand something critical. 
There's an identity shift that needs to take place in every person in this room for this to be possible. And this is the identity shift. You need to see yourself first as a follower of Jesus, not an artist. You are a follower of Jesus. You are not an artist. What do I mean by this? Well, philosophically, this means you care more about God, more about his kingdom, more about his plans, more about the lost than your art. Practically, it means you don't rely or desire to rely on the scene for income. And let me tell you, (laughs) the truth is that trying to balance serving God and making it is exhausting. It's exhausting. I'm sure there's stories in this room, talented people who are exhausted from balancing, trying to live for God and trying to make it. When you pursue Jesus, not success, you are set free. You are absolutely set free. You're not bound by the rules, the restrictions, the limitations of the scene anymore. You know, but I often hear this. What about professional musicians? You know, the ones that that pay the rent with their music. Yes, they exist. They do. But I feel like this is often put out there as a meaningful percentage of us, and it isn't. Yes, they exist. And even they have a responsibility before God to use their gifts Yes, there's unique challenges and they have to nuance it well. But let's be honest, this does not represent the majority of us. And I'm sorry to break it to you, but it probably won't represent the majority of us. For most of us, we get to use art and music for a very short season. And what this is, is an appeal to make it count. Don't blow it. Don't waste it. There are millions of people today who don't know where their next meal is coming from. And we are artists. That is a privilege that we can barely comprehend. God has given us this gift where we don't have to worry about where we're going to sleep or what we're going to eat. We get to play around with art. What a privilege. Why not make that count for something? I think God would want to make it, want us to make it count. Another common objection you hear is, well, you just don't care about the art like me. I'm an artiste. And real art doesn't just have to communicate a message. It doesn't just have to be a means to an end. This is nonsense. Real art has a message. If your message is that your art shouldn't have a message, that's your message. (laughs) You cannot have art without a message. It is what message will you have? You cannot not have a master. It's what master will you choose? I care about the quality of art, believe me. I wish I had more talent. I try as hard as I can. I do everything I can to be as good as possible. But first things first, I'm a follower of Jesus. I'm not an artist. The rest of the principles are just an extension of this. You get this right, the rest makes sense. You don't get this right, you will fight all of this, I promise. And you'll go away from here dissatisfied. So with that being said, the first principle tonight is seek God with a desperate heart. Seek God with a desperate heart. You know, I think so many Christians fail to to make an impact because they don't understand where the power comes from. You know, people will look at what we do, and by a lot of people's standards, we get to do some amazing things. I mean, we go all over the world. I played 62 shows this summer, probably for an average of 1,000 people a show. We play on a a system and a setup that probably costs two, $300,000. We have an incredible setup, an incredible crew. 
And people want to know, what's your strategy? How does it work? How did you get there? What they're looking for is a program, a methodology. But I'm telling you, it comes from prayer. When No Longer Music started a long time ago, my parents were in Amsterdam and they wanted to reach the punks and the anarchists, these anti-establishment people that had such a negative idea about who God is. And they weren't seeing fruit. And so God led them to just stop everything they were doing and pray. So for two years, they just prayed. God, give us your power. God, give us your plan. God, we need a breakthrough. It was in this time, in this season of prayer, that God led them to start a Bible study and eventually a band and eventually a ministry. And I can tell you this, to this day, prayer is the core of what we do. It's the absolute essence of what we do. You know, such a huge lie you hear is, you know, if, if, if my band can just be as good as possible, You know, if I can just make the most excellent art possible, then the world will take me seriously, and then I'll have an impact. This is such nonsense. The world does not need more good artists. It's overwhelming how good the world is at art. You go on Facebook, and some five-year-old is a better musician than you. It's so frustrating. Does anybody like that? I hate those videos. No one likes that kid. It is such nonsense to think the key is excellent art. We don't need more excellent art. We need Jesus. What we need to see is God move. And I'll tell you, God moves when you begin to seek him with a desperate heart. Hebrews 11.6 says, Without faith, it's impossible to please God. Because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. So much of our art, so much of our attempts at ministry are so weak because we don't take prayer seriously. What does it look like before a show? Oh, Lord, help us to have a good show. You know, we get in a circle. Why do we get in a circle? (laughs) I've never asked that. I suppose it's easy, geometrically speaking. But the point is, this is so weak. The secular world does this. Right? I remember watching a documentary on the Foo Fighters and Dave Grohl said, yeah, we do band prayer too. We take a shot of whiskey before we go out on stage. It's a joke. The world laughs at our prayer and we wonder why God is not moving. Why is this? Why has our prayer lives, why have our prayer lives become so weak? First part of Hebrews 11.6 gives us some very critical insight. It says this, Anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists. You're thinking, what? I'm at a Christian seminar. I know God exists. But Paul knew who he was writing to. He wasn't a dumb guy. He's driving at his point a little bit here. Do you believe that God exists? If your prayer lives were submitted as evidence to a court, what would that say of you about whether you believe God exists? What would that say of you? Maybe you did at one point, but you've become cold and realistic. You're no longer a naive kid anymore. You know how the world works. One thing I know is we all need to see God more clearly. I love going on walks. I've been able to go to some amazing places and pray. Beautiful places like New Zealand. I lived there for eight years. Unbelievable. And you see what God has made. 
You see all of its majesty, all of its size and scope, its diversity, its creativity. And to think that God just spoke it into existence. How much work does it take to put one average song together? God spoke the whole world into existence with no effort. Do you believe in this God? Or I'll be in some city on tour, 300,000 people in the city. I've never even heard of it. And I'll look out of the window and I'll see all these broken people, all these needs, all these lost people, and I'll feel so overwhelmed. I can barely handle my own life. I can barely handle my own problems. God, this is too much for me. And yet God sees all of those billions of people. He knows them all by name. He cares for every one of them intimately. He knows them. He has promises for them. But not only that, he has the power to deliver on those promises. Do you believe in this God? What you think about God is the most important thing about you. A.W. Tozer, a now dead theologian, wrote this. Were we able to extract from any man a complete answer to the question, what comes into your mind when you think about God, we might predict with certainty the spiritual future of that man. What you think of when you think of God is the most important thing about you. If your God is far away, if your God is indifferent, if your God is weak, prayer will be optional. Prayer will be a last resort. Prayer will be something cute, but not, real, not really a solution, not really something to solve a problem. But if God is who I'm saying he is, if the God that we read about in the Bible, if that is who God is, and not only that, but it says that he will reward you if you seek him, would that not revolutionize how we pray? Would not prayer become the only option we have? The first thing that we go to. When we don't see God for who he is, it becomes about our marketing, about our strategies, about our quality. It becomes about all these things. But when you see God for who he is, it will revolutionize your art. He will be able to take it, fill it with his power and change the world. You know, we're not perfect. I'm not perfect. We struggle. We, we're sinful and human beings and no longer music. But one thing I can tell you is we take prayer seriously. We know we need God. And so when we're on tour every day, we pray. We pray hard. We pray for each other. Before we go on tour, we'll, we'll do a three-day silent retreat up north. I hate being alone, so I still talk like somebody's there. But we pray. Sometimes when things get intense on tour and we go to some intense places, we'll go in twos and we'll pray all night. We've enlisted an army of people all over the world that will pray every hour of every day that we're on tour. We take prayer seriously. Why? Because we know that if God takes his hand off of us, we're dead. Why do we do this? We do this because without it, our show would be worthless noise. We do this because if we don't, we won't change anything or anybody. I believe God uses no longer music. I believe NLM works because of his power, because we seek him with a desperate heart. And I believe there are people here that not only want to, but are called to make a difference not to contribute to the worthless noise out there and be another band that is forgotten, another artist that no one will remember, 
You're called to be an artist that will make a difference, but it doesn't happen because you are excellent or you are amazing or you are relevant. It happens because you get on your knees and you seek God with a desperate heart. God has done such incredible things. Just this last summer, like I said, we did 62 shows. Thousands of people coming to know him, all because of his power. And I want to show you a video of that tour. I want to introduce um, our next speaker. It's a huge privilege to have Maddie here, uh, another voice. I don't know him well, but the, the little I know of him is that he is passionate, and that he is making a difference. And so welcome to the stage, Maddie Montgomery. Yahweh, I just say that you are lifted high here. I say that you are not just welcome in this place, but you are needed in this place. And Father, we come here to behold you. We come here to experience and to encounter you, Father. I ask that you would remove any distraction. I ask that you would remove any, uh, anything from our hearts that would keep us more focused on ourselves and our agenda than on you and, and yours. And Father, right now we come before you, desperately asking for more, desperately asking for more revelation of who you are, for for, for your vision for our lives. We ask that right now by your Holy Spirit that is at work and alive in this place, that you would come and and make your dream for our lives a reality. In the name of your Son, Yeshua, Jesus. Amen. Hi. Hey, I'm, uh, I'm Maddie. Um, I, I was asked to speak um, or, or to share um, today really on, uh, on, on two subjects that I, I think I might just have to roll into one. And, and the, first, uh, the first precept, the first subject, the first topic is um, uh, be, be impressed. Do not, do not be impressed with the scene, but be impressed with God. The, sep- the second topic is an audience of one. And, uh, and I think that as... Artists as people who have this desire to create and, and, and to influence and to impact the world around us. Um, I think that what, what, what tends to happen in, in our hearts is that we begin to define or affirm ourselves. We begin to, to, uh, to, to view our own value or our own worth or our own success by the amount of people we can reach and by their reactions to what it is that we do. Now, I, I've played in a band uh, for a long time. And, and we've had the honor of being able to travel all over the world and preach the gospel to, to millions of people and, and, and see amazing and unbelievable things happen. But uh, I, I want to tell you, um, this is how we started. Uh, we, on our first tour, we went to San Antonio, Texas. And this is our first tour. We're just getting started out. But people were coming to our shows. And uh, we showed up in San Antonio and a whopping two people came to the concert. And, uh, uh, two whole people. Um, and, and we were sort of faced with, a a decision, you know, do we load in all of our gear? We don't really need it all. I mean, should we bring, we had a light show on, on the road with us. Should we bring the lights? There's only two people here. Nobody's even going to care. 
Uh, and, and we thought, you know what, I, I don't want to be excellent because we're going to get praised or acknowledged or applauded for it. I want to be excellent because we believe that God is with us. And this is our offering to him. So we went in there, we poured our hearts out, man. We played for two people like we've, we've played on for, for 2000. And um, guess how many people got saved that day? Two. <laughs> we batted a thousand that day. It was easy, but we, we made it happen. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, you know, I, I think that, that what, what happens is, is we get it in our, our mind that it's somehow our responsibility to change the world for God. Can I tell you this? It's God's responsibility to change the world. It's our responsibility to be obedient. And that makes it so simple, man. And, and, oh, oh, that's a great idea. This is an amazing opportunity. What a huge open door. Well, that doesn't mean you're supposed to walk through it. I, uh, I had some guys uh, a couple years ago that, that worked for a pretty big management company. They said, uh, hey, man, we want to manage you as a speaker, and, and we want to book you at all these big conferences to preach, and we'll get you $5,000 an event, and we're going to make you a lot of money, and we'll keep you out on the road a lot, and you'll be able to reach a lot of people for Jesus. And, uh, and I said, I mean, that all sounds great. Let me pray about it. And after a week or two of prayer, the whole thing just felt sour and weird in my spirit. And I had to call those guys and say, hey, I don't know why. I don't have a problem with you. You seem like great guys, but thanks, but no thanks. Uh, and I wish that I had some sort of like, and then their whole company went under because they were embezzling money. You know, I don't, their company's still doing great. They have lots of guys that are, are doing awesome. Um, but but I can tell you this, I'm right where God wants me to be right now. And, um, and, and, and I think that, that, we have this compulsion to always want the bigger thing. And, and, and I think that we sometimes, unfortunately, as leaders, we sometimes communicate it pretty subtly in, in the way that we speak, that it's, it's your responsibility. You have to go out. You have to, to change the world for Jesus. You have to take a, the, the, the bigger platform. You have to fight for a bigger stage. You have to climb the ladder and achieve more and be more ambitious so that you can be more successful as a Christian. You can do seminars and people will come and clap and listen to what you have to say. Um, but can I tell you this, man? Uh, we are not applauded on, on, on that day when we stand before him. He's not going to say, well done, my good and faithful rock star or worship leader or preacher or author or pastor or apostle or prophet or painter or dancer or celebrity. He's not going to say, well done, my good and faithful business owner or entrepreneur or millionaire for the kingdom or missionary. He's going to say, well done, my good and faithful servant. And if our heart is to serve the Father, nothing that we ever put our hand to will fail. If our heart is to serve the Father, whether it's in front of 10 million or whether it's in front of two, he's going to bless it. His hand is going to be on it, and it will always achieve exactly what he dreamed of. So I, I want to show you something out of, out of the scriptures today that really sort of changed my perspective on uh, regarding the, the way that I approach ministry. It, it changed my whole strategy. It's, it's out of the book of Isaiah. And this is my, probably my favorite passage of scripture. It's in Isaiah chapter six. This is when the prophet Isaiah has an encounter with God. And uh, it starts right at the beginning of the chapter. It says, in the year King Uzziah died, I, I, this is Isaiah speaking, saw the Lord sitting on a throne high and lifted up and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above it stood seraphim. Each one had six wings. With two, he covered his face. With two, he covered his feet. And with two, he flew. And one cried to another, 
and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the posts of the door were shaken by the voice of him who cried out, and the house was filled with smoke. So I said, Woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the king, the Lord of hosts. Then one seraphim flew to me, having in in his hand a live coal, which he had taken with tongs from the altar, and he touched my mouth with it and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your iniquity is taken away and your sin purged. Also, I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and whom will go for us? Then I said, Here I am. Send me. And then what happens after this is that, is that Yahweh, the, the Lord, he, he begins to give Isaiah a specific instruction and a specific message to carry to his people. And um, something that, that I, you know, I read this passage for years and years, and it blessed me, man. I, I love that, that, that we could have that sort of encounter, that sort of throne room experience with God. Uh, and, and, and it captivated my imagination. It captivated my prayer life. It, it really stirred me up in the spirit and, and invited me to press in to go deeper with the Lord. But just recently, maybe about a year ago, the Holy Spirit began to ask me a question that was something I couldn't answer, and it kind of bothered me at first. And, and that question was this, how come this is in Isaiah 6 and not Isaiah 1? What happened in the first five chapters of the book? Like, what was Isaiah doing prior to this? This is in my Bible. The title says Isaiah's, uh, Isaiah's commission uh, is what comes right after this encounter. So what was Isaiah doing for five chapters before this? Isaiah was, if you want to go and check, you can, or you could just take my word for it. For five whole chapters, Isaiah was already prophesying. For five whole chapters. It's five whole chapters. The, in, in fact, Isaiah chapter 1 starts with... Let's make sure I'm not misquoting this to you. The vision of Isaiah, the son of Amos, uh, which he saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem in the days of Uzziah. So, uh, so what happens is Isaiah has the, begins to have these prophetic visions, and then he begins to stand up and proclaim prophecies and proclamations uh, both for and, and against the, the house of Israel. And so Isaiah is doing this thing. He's obviously, he's clearly gifted as a prophet of the Lord. He's clearly called as a prophet of the Lord. But then something really strange happens, and that is that he has an encounter with God. He has a face-to-face experience. He has a run-in with the Father, and he does something really wild. He falls down on his face, and he begins to scream, Oh, woe is me. I am undone, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. Isaiah, you're a prophet. You're, you're actively filling the role of, of the prophet for, for the house of Israel. He's, he's doing it already. He says, thus saith the Lord, like two dozen times in the first five chapters. He's already prophesying, but then he has this encounter and he realizes something that most people in the church don't realize. And that is this, it is illegal for you to begin to proclaim a God that you've never met. It is out of line with protocol for you to be, begin to try to, to use your gifting on behalf of a God that you don't really know and you've never really experienced. And I think that we celebrate gifting so much that we, 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 we put encounter, we put experience, we put a history with God on the back burner. Well, it's, it's okay if, if he doesn't really uh, engage with God in prayer. It's okay if, if he's never really had a, had, had a moment with God that changed and marked his life forever because he can sing real good. Isn't this, isn't this ridiculous? Isaiah falls down on his face and says, I'm a man of unclean lips. God, for, for five chapters I've been speaking your word and, and I realized suddenly that I was unfit to do so. I realized suddenly that what I've been doing was out of order because I'd never experienced you. 
And what happens in, 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 in our, our creative culture in the church is that we elevate and we celebrate people's giftings and they're, you know, impressive and, and whatever and they look nice and they sound good and they compete with the world. But these are people who have not been marked by encounter with God. And as, as I was praying into these, these topics and I was praying into this idea of playing, performing for an audience of one, as I was, as I was praying into this idea of, of, uh, of being not impressed with the scene, but being impressed with God, this, 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 this simple concept came to me, and that is if we've never been undone in the presence of God, if we've never been marked by encounter with him, if we don't wake up every day consciously aware of, of his nearness to us and his word to us, if we are not a people who've been ruined for anything else by the goodness and the glory of the God, the God that surrounds us every day, and we have no business in the spotlight. We have no business in the ministry. We have nothing to offer the world if we've not been touched by the hand of a living God. I think about, uh, I think about this man that we call in, in history that we call John the Baptist. He was also a prophet. Uh, John the Baptist, he came on the scene at the end of what, 400 years of prophetic silence. God had not spoken to the, 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 the Jewish people in, in generations. And then suddenly he raises up this prophet out in the wilderness named John the Baptist. And he begins to stand up and yell at people about their sin. Repent, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Get ready, you need to wash yourself because something is coming and you can't be found dirty when it comes. And so these people, uh, you know, maybe at first it was like a dozen people just hear this man out in the wilderness wearing camel's hair and eating locusts and honey. This crazy wild man screaming about sin and maybe a dozen people you know, they hear him one day when they're walking down the street and, and they say, man, I, I think there might be something to this. Something in their heart begins to move. And, and they, they respond to this, to this call. And, and so John, he brings them out into the water of, of the Jordan River and, and, and he dunks them under the water. He baptizes them in the water for the remission of sins. And the Bible says that when they came up, they began to confess their sin. So John is baptizing people and then they're coming up and they're being convicted and, and they're beginning to say, man, I've done this and I've done this and I've done this and I'm ashamed of myself. I just want to be clean. So these, these people, maybe, maybe 12, 15 people at first, right? They, they, they have this experience with John that changes something inside of them. They, they encountered something real and legitimate. And so they go back into the city and they begin to tell people. And then maybe a dozen people turns into a hundred or 200 and then it turns into multitudes, thousands of people, more than could even be counted with, with any sort of accuracy. And, uh, and that's where the story picks up. Multitudes of people are going out into the wilderness to hear this man they call John the Baptist. And John the Baptist, one by one, he's baptizing all of them. And as they come up, they're beginning to confess their sin. And then, God, this story has, has struck me for the last like two months, and I just can't, I can't shake it. I wasn't even planning to share it tonight, and I just, I can't stop. And, 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 and then as these people come up, they're, they're beginning to confess their sin and to acknowledge their dirt and their guilt and their shame. And then suddenly one day something changes. John's in the middle of his ministry. He's in the spotlight. He's the center of attention. He's, he's the most significant spiritual leader possibly in the world at this time. And, uh, John, he's, he's baptizing people and they're confessing their sin. And he's saying, repent, you're a sinner. Repent, you're a sinner. Repent, you're a sinner. And then suddenly in the middle of it all, John stands up as he sees one man walk over the hill. And he says, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. 
Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. John, through his entire ministry, had been, had been calling people to, to confront the reality of their own sinfulness. John, throughout the, the expanse of his ministry, he'd been calling people to confess their sin, to come, to repent of their sin. And then Jesus walks over the hill one day and he stands up and he says, Listen, you know, I don't have to keep washing you. You can just be free from it. He says, this is the one who can fix that problem you've been acknowledging. I know that you're ashamed. I know you feel guilty. I know you're, you're dirty. I know that you've, you've messed up and you've fallen short and you've stumbled. But there is one who can take your sin away from you once and for all. And this is what he says. He gives us an instruction about how we, we could experience that. And he says this, behold him. That's it. And I love this so much, man, that he, he, didn't, he didn't say, well... If you want to experience the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, then you need to read these three books and you need to donate $1,000 to my ministry and you need to come here for six months and go through our partnership, become part of our uh, partnership program and go through our members class. No, (laughs) he said, just behold the Lamb. Just look at him. Gaze upon him. See him for who he really is. Allow yourself to be captivated with his glory and his goodness. And sin is going to become irrelevant in your life, I promise. Sin is going to become a thing of the past. You're going to find yourself daily walking into new dimensions of freedom as you behold the lamb and you continue in a posture of beholding the lamb. So I don't want to go for too long tonight, but, but I, I, I felt to tell you this. Whether you're the prophet Isaiah, the prophet John the Baptist, whether you're a painter or a dancer or a musician or a filmmaker or a writer, If we do not behold him, if we do not experience him, if we do not press in in the secret place, if we do not press in in the secret place, in the place, in the place of prayer, in the place of, of, of studying and devouring the word, if we do not pursue him in our own private worship, if we are not experiencing him and, 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 and coming before him saying, God, I want you to, to touch me. I want to experience you. I want to encounter and behold you for who you are. Captivate me with your beauty. If we don't press in in the secret place, we will have nothing to offer in the spotlight. If we don't press in in the secret place, we will have nothing to offer in the spotlight. So lastly, I, I, I want to tell you this. And uh, I'm not even sure how this relates to anything that I'm saying, but I just I've, it's been on my heart this whole time. Uh, just this, this last, um, maybe two weeks ago, I was doing a, an interview with an interviewer from Miami who drove like four hours to Orlando to come and interview me. And uh, in the middle of the interview... Uh, he, he has a camera set up. He works for his schools, his colleges, like TV station or something. He has a camera set up and he asked me this question. So you guys are a religious band, right? What does that mean? Uh, and I said, well, no, let me tell you. Okay. You asked for it. (laughs) So I just preached the gospel and, um, he's kind of sitting there listening. And then he reaches over and turns the camera off and he says, I need to tell you something. When you guys announced this tour, I went to bed that night and I had a dream that I came to this concert and I met you and you were going to say something that would change my life forever. And he said, I was born into a house that went to church and I was born into a family of believers and both of my parents died before I turned 13. And he said, and I thought there's no way there could be a God in heaven if, he, if, if, if my life would turn out like this. He said, but when you talk, I can't, I can't help but feel like God is right here. And uh, 
And I said, bro, this is, this is what you, you came looking for this. I didn't chase you down and talk you into it, man. You came here to find this. And, and, and right there, forget about the interview, this guy and, and I and, and some of our friends who were standing there, um, we prayed and this guy said, he said, Jesus, I want you to use me for your glory and I want to give you my whole life. And, um, and, and, and I couldn't, I don't remember how many people came to that show or how loud they were singing along or how cool the light show was or how good the sound quality was. I couldn't tell you any of that stuff, but I could tell you I watched while the hand of God reached into somebody's life and gripped his heart so completely that I believe he will never be the same again. And I want to tell you, beloved, if, if, if we continue to press into God, he's going to continue to entrust us with opportunity after opportunity after opportunity. The only reason of God, it's not like I was charismatic enough and I said the right things and I presented a good enough case and I argued this guy to, into, into a corner to where he, he, he somehow had to agree with me or acknowledge that what I believed is right. No, man, this guy came looking for an excuse to give his life to Jesus. And, and I just gave it to him. So I want to tell you this. If I could leave you with one thing, I, I, I want to leave you with this. The world does not need us to give them proof that God exists. The world needs us to become proof that God exists. Uh, Let me say that again. The world does not need us to give them proof that God exists. The world needs us to become proof that God exists. So listen, please be a people who are so unconcerned with the opinions and the applause of man that when they look at you, they say there's something different about it. I've seen artists before and I've seen musicians before, but I've never seen people who are not concerned with climbing the social ladder. I've never seen people who are not concerned with making it in the music industry or breaking through to get in the spotlight for their art. I've, I see in you a people who are so concerned with the opinions of the Father that if you stay in your prayer room with your acoustic guitar and you sing your heart out for the next 40 years, you're going to be perfectly happy with that. Man, I just, I want to call out from you uh, a, a courage to forget about the opinions of man and to pour your heart out day and night and day and night and day and night for the one who is worthy. That's where you hone your craft is in the secret place. And then if and when he puts the spotlight on you, you're going to be found faithful with that too, right? Somebody say, right. That's right. Yeah. Listen, the secret place is where God reaches into our life and he molds in in us the character and the power of Christ so that when the world looks at us, they can see him. That's what this whole thing is about. So let me just pray for you. Father, I I thank you for this group. I thank you, God, for the honor that it is to serve them. And I just ask right now, God, that you would grip their hearts with the reality of your kingdom. Father, I ask that they would be so captivated and so overwhelmed with your glory, just like Isaiah was, that, 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 that anything that they'd ever done uh, to, to, to flaunt their gifting would, would be rectified right now. God, I ask that you would draw them to repentance over that, and, and that instead of being a people who, 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 who spend their lives trying to be great for you, that they'd be a people who spend their lives being great with you. God, I ask that they'd be a people that are marked by fellowship and who are not marked by fame. I ask that they'd be a people who, who pursue your face, God, who, who press into your your heart every day to, to, to behold you in your glory. And I ask that nothing else would ever satisfy them. I ask God, God that you would put such a grace on their lives that, that the applause and the admiration of the world would never be something that could entice them, but that you would set them apart for your glory, Father. I ask that by your spirit, God, that you would awaken their hearts to the reality of your nearness, to the reality of your kingdom, and that there would be people who are desperate to, to live in encounter with you. In Jesus' name, amen. We are excited to announce that we'll be doing three Provoke and Inspire seminars in the U.S. this fall. 
The first will be on October 27th in Nashville. The second will be November 1st in Minneapolis. And the third will be November 10th in Los Angeles. We'll also be doing two Provoke and Inspires in Brazil and three Provoke and Inspires in Europe. For more information on the times, the dates, and the locations, and how you can be involved, go to comeandlive.com. Thanks for listening to Provoke and Inspire, the official Come and Live podcast. To hear past podcasts, go to comeandlive.com. Got a question for the guys? Send it in to provokeandinspire at comeandlive.com.